welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 235. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And we're back after a somewhat hiatus. I was on vacation. You were traveling. Yes. Yeah. Condolences, but... as we said in the war in the war up there. I mean, you've yeah. had some losses. Yeah. No, some big losses. My father uh, died uh, a week ago Sunday. This past Sunday, and we had uh, his memorial service in West Virginia on Sunday. It was a great celebration of his life. Yeah, a bit of a, you know, he'd had a stroke. It was a little shock that he died, but, um, you know, he didn't want to be the way he was from the stroke. And uh, so I do thank you for lots of the condolences, you know, that we've had, what we've gotten as a family. And um, and also need to remember uh, Colleen Riley, who I loved as a daughter, who was a member I, uh, an official member of our family uh, who lost her battle, eight-year battle of cancer, a young woman, remarkably talented. Um, I've talked about Colleen before. And um, she was given six weeks to live, and I think she lived 12. Uh, and uh, she, uh, when she first was diagnosed cancer, it's the cancer killed her, her, took her mom when she was just six or seven. Uh, she called me, this was eight years ago, and she said, well, you'll be happy. I believe in God again. And I go, that's great. She goes, yeah, I've got cancer. I need someone to be angry at. <laughs> but um, she was a great soul. Traveled all over the world, all 50 states, I think 60 or 70 countries at least, all the seven wonders of the world. Uh, just She truly was a world citizen. Uh, and, um, you know, one of the last things, our, one of our last conversations, she said, you know, I certainly have had, and she had some great suffering, great suffering in her life. Uh, she said, I've had some hard things, but the beauty of this world and the beauty of God's people makes me believe in his unconditional love and salvation. So, um, If you're going to go out on a note, I mean, that's the one to go out on. Yeah, yeah. So she just, uh, but uh, certainly prayers for my mom and our family, my sister and all my my kids and my sister's son uh, they were all very um close to my dad and uh, also um colleen survived by a brother and uh many family and friends who will miss her greatly so thank you for your thoughts and your prayers and while we were away i mean functionally we got a supreme court justice through i mean that's i think that i feel like that's a done deal yeah yeah what's interesting to me is when people say, like, oh, I'm going to be an independent judge, you don't know where I'm going to come from. Wait, we have groups like the Federalist Society that make sure, have a vetting process to make sure we know exactly where you're coming from on every this issue. Man, this man has an extensive paper trail. And I know French is... And that's on the left, too. I mean, don't come around. Like, it's, no, it's, people, no, you, uh, you... When someone's nominated, we generally know, it's a pretty politicized process, we know where they're going to be. So let's, I mean, everybody pretends like they're a man or a woman of mystery. Like, oh, you never know where I'm going to rule well, anything. It's a John, who's French? John French is your friend? David French. David French, who, you know, who I usually think is fairly measured, but he put, he put out this Trump or this tweet that Trump, we will call Trump's from now on tweets, but said, uh, 
how, you know, wrong it was to attack this wonderful man's character. Well, you know, David, have him at least tell the truth when he's asked a question. If he's so wonderful moral, have him tell the truth. And I understand the, the I understand the time we live in and every, going back to Bork, why they do what they do. And both uh, Democrats and Republicans, it's the same in both administrations. But you're not a good person if you don't tell the truth. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know if it's not. But it's just it's it, it, well. Here's the interesting. Thing. I've never thought of that, but Ben, Sass, Mr. Senator, I've never ben, thought ben, of that. Ben Sass said that it, it, something basically along that like, look, we've turned, we spent all this money on the court now. You know, make it, make sure we get the right judges. Politically, so the fact we politicized the process, which is so, what the Constitution didn't want to have. Right. Yet, so, yeah. are we surprised that this is now politicized? Right. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, this is a kind of yeah. You know, it's yeah. a very we've you know, created we've created this kind of world and. uh you know, he um, certainly has credentials. Hopefully, he'll be a good judge. Yeah. Yeah. So, there we go. Yeah. All right. So, we did talk about the Apostle Paul over the when I was on holiday. Yeah, we solved the issue, actually. We but did. But we uh, didn't record it. Yeah, we, we didn't write it down. We didn't so, record it. So, we're going to try to recreate it. But uh, I, read, I read through Justification Reconsidered, Rethinking a Pauline Theme by Stephen Westerholm, who is... Professor of Early Christianity at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. Canadian school. Fine Canadian it school. It is a great Canadian school. Yeah. Uh, he's he's written several. Well, you know, it's a great school and happens to be in Canada. It is in Canada. Because we have, well, I wouldn't say we, but one of us in the past has offended. Our, the our, great, the our great, wonderful neighbor <laughs> to the north who we're, who we're <laughs> battling through in trade negotiations with. Just <laughs> battling. Right, yeah. Yeah, it, it you have to work hard to make Canada an adversary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you you know unless you're a foreign country that's taxed the empire or something other than the Commonwealth, but other yeah. than that, but uh, yeah, nonetheless. So anyway, we're, we we uh, you read this book, which actually saved you from a podcast that put you in an existential crisis. You kept calling me. We'll have to talk about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll have to talk about that. But yeah, the whole philosophical, uh, psychological reason for why we're all. Uh, we'll do that. We're all screwed at some point. Yeah, <laughs> we will enjoy it. So yeah, we'll enjoy it. <laughs> so, they, you know, they, basically, Westerholm is a pretty accomplished New Testament scholar, and I, I mean, he's a senior level age sort of scholar. I mean, he's been around. Mm-hmm. Like he wrote an early review of the Sanders book, and it, like he, was wow. ta- he talked about. Uh, his, you know, being one of the first reviewers of that book. Well, and, he's not that. Yeah, he's more than he has to be older than young. But yeah, to, yeah, 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 yeah. No, know. he's and he. I, the way I would frame this short, and it's a short book. I mean, if you're looking for a good book on sort of the Paul, on sort of Paul, what's driving his theology, what justification by faith is all about in Paul and. And broader, it's for a hundred pages. You get a lot. Well, I think, and if you want to get a um, a New Testament scholar who who moves around the theological world pretty well, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, I would say the way I frame this would frame this is: is his is Paul's problem a Gentile problem or a human problem? Right. And why don't you flesh out? What you so I think that the the my you know. Modern New Testament scholarship has tended to say, for a host of reasons, that there's kind of a problem with the way we look at at Judaism, Second Temple Judaism, as 
legalistic and it's almost like we look at the gospels seeing Jesus as Martin Luther right. and the Pharisees as medieval Catholics. And then Paul becomes an extension of that bowing with these legalistic Judas, Jewish and Judaizing opponents. And New Testament scholarship has said Judaism is a lot more nuanced than that, well, which, I, which is true. Yeah. I mean, and the other, yeah. And the other thing too, and, and, and contextually, first of all, you know, a lot of the 20th century scholars, uh, early 20th century scholars, were were Lutherans. They were Germans, and they were Lutherans, and yeah. they set the nature of the talk. And after the uh, you know, post-Holocaust studies, also, you know, with discovery of things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and, uh, and better scholarship about what second, ten- second century or Second Temple Judaism looked like, we began to have a much more broader picture of, of what that looked like. So... What you really had is, first of all, there was a recognition of a Lutheran view bias of of the law and Paul, as well as some inherent anti-Catholicism that often came through. Yeah, and anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism. So there was a There's sense— There's always anti-Semitism in Europe <laughs> and in Western history. If you don't, if you, yeah, no, that's—so there was a sense where a lot of, you know, some ancient, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls get discovered— uh, there's a great self-examination of of these kind of biases, and also, gosh, someone remembered, yeah, Jesus and Paul were Jews. <laughs> and so, if you're a great dictator, even in the non-West, I mean, Leah Lee, what's my friend, you know, an unorthodox one said, you know, it's like dictators. I wonder if Kim Jong Un just says, look, I mean, I don't know if I should be against Jews, but. I see these other great people I admire. I mean, we don't really have any Jews to know, but I mean, all these other, all these other autocratic monsters again. There must be something there, you know. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that is that is the case. Uh, uh, but so, nonetheless, all these things come together to form, which again, I just rail against every time. It's called the new Paul because discovering Paul as a Jew should not be something we would call new. <laughs> I thought we were talking about Paul McCartney. Yeah, no, I have, uh, and uh, yeah, I have the new Paul. I, I'm I'm sticking with the old Paul when it comes to Paul McCartney. <laughs> Joey's first solo album, he recorded like in his living room, like on he played like like on tracks, just like pretty amazing. Yeah, well, I think one of the best albums. He like taught himself to play the piano. Yeah, I think one of the best albums of the first decade of of the millennium was David Gray's uh, second album, which he did on his living room in his apartment in London. Amazing. Yeah. But all the R stuff is done right here. Not even in the living room. Right here. People that watch on Facebook. It's all done here. I mean, there's yeah. no there's nothing piped in from satellite locations. My comeback album, we're actually recording even right now. Here. Yeah, yeah, right here. But here. getting back to Paul. So, back up with Billy for true. So tell me the essence of this book that you've been talking to me about for all summer. Yeah. So I mean it's 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 all summer would be the book's not long enough to talk about all summer, but <laughs> Well, we, we've been talking. It feels like we've been talking, but we, we yeah, talked about different books. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because he it wants to say that, that again. The the if you look at like uh, Christer Christer Stendhal, right? Christer Christer Stendhal is it uh, the Lutheran scholar, the one who sort of does the psychologized. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, it's a typical sort of example. Right. Yeah. Okay, Paul that gets over psychologized through Luther and. Augustine, and really, this isn't about ju- justification by faith is not a driving thing, and it really, even when he talks about it in places like Galatians, it's about table. F- I mean, although the, does Stendhal do the table fellowship stuff, or is that a later development? But the, 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 it develops into right. this is all about the Jew Gentile question, 
And a lot of Paul's theology is not how do I get right with a God who I'm on the wrong side of, right. that that's a uniquely modern problem, you know, or at least, you know, you could say, not that Luther's modern, I don't think, but it's something that, for, as moderns, we look back on a tradition of Luther and Augustine, right. individualizing right. it or something to that effect. And that really, that would be foreign to Paul. He's really concerned with the uh, sort of unveiling of the Christ event. And now that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah is here, the Gentiles are included and how to make sense of all this. And so really the the issue is not one of faith and works, but one of how do our Gentiles included into the covenant with Israel. And right. so th this kind of, that's the driving force. And, and Westerholm thinks that a lot of that modern scholarship, again, is has uncovered important insights and that we do know a lot more about things like Second Temple Judaism, but that its conclusions are a little misguided. And ultimately, if Paul has mostly a Gentile problem, it does not account for the corpus, the Pauline corpus, or existentially, missiologically, what happened. That, right. that, that there's kind of that that on on both scores it sort of fails the test. Yeah. I I think you know one of the things that we've often talked about the trouble is not either or it's it which often we get here because I think um I do think that uh, well let me take a step back. The job of of the church in each generation is to read the Bible in its context to have continuity of what's come before, okay, to be accountable to say yeah, we think this is what it means and to listen to those who come before you. But then to you know to apply it to the the situation at hand. Going to make Christianity great again. <laughs> and what Luther did was he used the the book, the Bible that was the light that is our book that is our uh, is a written uh, witness of the revelation of Jesus Christ, and addressed it to his both his spiritual and pastoral concerns. And I think maybe. One of the ways that we, I think we didn't use these terms, but I think there is, you know, there's a pastoral Paul, there is a missionary Paul, uh, there certainly is a mystic Paul, and there's a Paul that has to reconcile something that is not something they were looking for, um, a crucified Messiah who resur who's resurrected by God by himself. Yeah, that's not the, they weren't looking for that, but that's the Christ. Yeah, right. The, this idea that the the Jewish hope, at least for those who believed in, in an apocalyptic sort of eschatology, was believed in the resurrection of the body. Right, the mm -hmm. resurrection of all all Jews or all righteous Jews at the end of history, not one Jew in the middle of history. Right, and maybe all righteous Jews and Gentiles. That was an open right. argument in in Second Temple Judaism. There were some who said. Not even all the Jews get in. Only the you know the elect, the the, the righteous few, the uh, the remnant, uh, and and yeah, that yeah, Westminster Theological Seminary was in Jerusalem then, and exactly. <laughs> but then there were some broader views of you know even the righteous Gentiles will get in, you know, and then there were those who argued, well, what made a Gentile righteous? And one of the things you what's really interesting. I'll tell you what makes a Gentile righteous? You win the Republican nomination. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the Pharisees were looking. That at, won't make any Gentile the, the, righteous. The, the Pharisees were trying to get the right people elected to the Sanhedrin judges. That's what they were. That's what was going on. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you. To be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlan, Barry Stewart. Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, Samantha Konauer, and Jordan DeMaze. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. But what 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 this I, this idea was? So Paul, who probably Saul of Tarsus, you know, at least from temperamentally, if we get if Acts is right, and even his own uh, testimony to himself in Philippians was that you know he was on that side with only not even all the Jews got in, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he would be on that extreme, and then suddenly he has an encounter with the resurrected Christ, and he's arguing for a broader entrance, you know, he, he's moving from a Jewish Messiah who saves a remnant to the Savior of the world. And uh, and that's, you know, and the vision that that's always what God was yeah. up to. Yeah. So it's interesting. One of the things he, he being Westerholm, talks about is he goes through Thessalonians and says, look, it, it, you know, the righteousness justification language is not in First Thessalonians. No. And most scholars argue this is the earliest book we have. Now, again, th- th- these are majority opinions, but the mainstream thought we're saying this is sort of probably late fifties. Well, well, I mean, everything has to get written in a pretty short period right. of time. So I, sometimes I even contend that you know Paul probably did all his writings in the fifties. Yeah. So we're you know so early might be you know. January, <laughs> sure, right, right. But maybe, yeah, right. yeah, in general, people look at this as is definitely Paul, and and if you think that certain yeah, things is due first to Paul, Thessalonians, yeah, is, early, is, early, is, is non-disputed, yeah. And you know, he talks about how salvation here in Thessalonians meant deliverance from God's wrath and judgment. Now, again, there's not justification language there or righteousness language. There is wrath language. Oh yeah, deliverance from the day of the Lord. Yeah, and yeah. then he he looks at. First Corinthians and says, look, there's a similar kind of picture of salvation. And although there is righteousness language there, not it's not a developed theme, but but it's there and, and it 
and righteousness and unrighteousness kind of fold into you know the, un, the unrighteous not hearing into salvation and and from the coming impending apocalyptic judgment now what he's saying there is is that you basically if you look at these letters like this there it's not the gentile problem it's not like hey guys the messiah of israel is 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 here and look at the book of isaiah let's go through let's look at this neat apocalyptic schema it's more like hey hey there is a divine judgment and it's a problem (laughs) wow that was i just siri thought i said something there and and engaged i didn't do that siri sorry I, you know, the, the, hey, the, the, there is the, there is a coming divine judgment, and those who are found wanting are are in in dire straits. And he argues that actually this is not a modern thing. If anything, the in, the indifference to this is the modern thing that that people in the ancient world knew a kind of knew the the perils of 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 the, deities the, the world the world was a dark and foreboding place and the deities could be upset no yeah. no god the, the god of israel is a different kind of especially the tradition says you know this is not the same kind of fitful deity but there still is this sense and then he goes into places like galatians and romans and looks at how the justification language is is more developed there and how salvation in this sort of schema involves god counting as righteous you know those who put their trust in in the in the in jesus christ and his in you know what he's done vicariously for the world now it's interesting he notes that he accepts that the picture of judaism that before the second temple of judaism kind of renaissance that was depicted was was one-sided he said and most of the scholarship that has you know gone forth it has been undertaken has been really helpful there but what one of his points is not that there's this uh it's legalistic as much as he thinks that faith works the faith works distinction is not a, is a little muddier than it is for paul and paul's you know writing he's an innovator you know right. and and also he thinks that well, he has to be yeah right and also he thinks that for the average second temple jewish thinker that's reflecting theologically they don't quite view the human condition as everybody being incorrigible sinners. Certainly an incorrigible sinner would not be justified, would not find themselves on the, on the good side of the day of the Lord. But there's not the kind of sense that like you get in Romans, everybody's kind of screwed, right? Jew and Gentile, everyone's found wanting. And that, that here that these things, Paul's sort of distinction between faith and works in places where he says, where he seems to say, not that the Torah is just the Jewish way and not the Gentile way, but no, it, 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 it actually can't provide the saving means, which Christ does. And so that this is, this is, uh, this is a sort of consequence of Paul's anthropology, which is a lot more austere than the, the prevailing Second Temple wisdom of his time. I think you might argue that the severity or the Paul who still was the, that Paul didn't become apocalyptic encountering the resurrected Christ. Right, right. And this idea that the that you know the light and darkness, which is in certainly you know, I think that language, which is in it's in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's in John. I mean, I think something that people often realize. I think John and Paul's theology are are the same. I think. I mean, I think they're in the same same world. I think different. They have different ways of talking about the same things, but. 
Just well, like McCartney and Lennon. There we go. But I do think that, for instance, what happens is this idea of this the, the apocalyptic Saul of Tarsus uh, brings the apocalyptic with him into the encounter of the resurrected Christ. So I think what I'm agreeing with this idea, this idea, the wrath of God is present, doesn't go that that doesn't go away uh, when he becomes uh, right, Bob. right. And so, so I think the apocalyptic eschatology is retained. And, and what and that and remember, meaning the end is near, and yeah. God's judgment is near. So that doesn't go away. And I think uh, I agree. So there's a sense where. Like you say in Romans, that's a problem for everybody. That's not yeah. just a problem for Jews. I think you're right. And I, I think something that's missing, though, um, and to understand that the revelation of God in Christ for the Gentiles was this angry God, or well, the wrath of God's being revealed, has always offered a way to be saved from that wrath. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and that this God is, it's not the capricious God of the um, of the pantheon or the, or you know whatever you want the mystery religions is not a God you're constantly having to appease, but that that appeasement okay that's not something that happens on the human plane. So here's where I would agree with the idea that Luther's insight of justification for the problem facing him in his day uh, the the frame there's a there's a kind of framework that works for what the problems that we're facing. Paul and his audience as well. So I would agree. I agree with his. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's interesting. And so this is his summary statement. I'll read you at the end. Can I just one other thing to yes, say? Yes, you can say but whatever. But, you know, for instance, Romans is not the uh, master's thesis of Paul. I think. No, I, it's at least his Habiliatenschaft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm going to say is that, in other words, they're all occasional writings. That's part of the reason the language is different in different books because he's dealing with different issues, he's dealing with different churches. I mean, I think if you want to get a summary of Pauline thought, if, there, if there's anything like that in the New Testament, the closest thing would be Ephesians, and I, that probably was something that was done by one of his followers after he was gone. So I think if you want a synopsis of Paul's you know, thought, that's there. But I do, I think this idea that, you know, we have to also remember that, you know, probably the most influential thing in the water, if you would, would be would be a kind of Stoic ethics, a kind of Stoic approach. I mean, there's kind of a middle Platonic thing in the water that everyone, you know, everyone is part of your framework of how you think. Everyone thinks with some Platonic categories during this time period without probably ever having, most of, no one has ever read, most of. Yeah, I mean, many of us walk around, even today, with Platonic categories that we don't, Right from whence they come, right? And, the, the idea where people say, "Oh, we're we're you know, soul, our the idea of a platonic, soul. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. the idea yeah, of a soul. So yeah, yeah. But so I think you know what you have in here is is. But what's really important about that is there's a kind of universalism. You know, there was this certain groups. Some of them were in the philosophical schools, but again, in this, what's going on philosophically during Paul's time period. Is religious. The, the middle, middle Platonism is a religious movement. So the different things that get under that kind of category, and both in some Stoicism and in some of the Middle Platon stuff, was this kind of hope for a universal, you know, a universality, the, the getting away of distinctions. And so what's interesting is Paul taps into that as well. Yeah. And yeah. but but it is vis-a-vis you know the saving work of Jesus Christ. So his idea that you know what the initial question was Paul. Concerned about hum, human, or I think it's a both and. But I think sometimes the things that the new Paul—I hate to use that, but whatever—for that they frame, they miss the point that Paul is speaking in a lot of different ways to 
a wide range of audience. And he's capable of tapping into what was the said, for lack of a better word, religious existential needs of Gentiles and Jews alike. Yeah, yeah. So this is his summary statement of the book. This is on the last page. In spite of recent challenges, I believe such an understanding of Paul's doctrine of justification does better. Actually, I'll, I'll start with the previous paragraph. Sorry. God can rightly declare sinners righteous only because Christ took their sins upon himself, atoning for them by a sacrificial death. But if such a declaration is a gift of grace, it still must be received when those who hitherto have refused to give God his due and their, and their resistance and place their faith in the redemptive work as his son. God declares them righteous. And there he's quoting Romans 1 and Romans 3. Should their profession of faith not prove empty, 1 Corinthians 15, 2, but persist in a life marked by faith throughout life's trials, Romans 5, Colossians 1. The final judgment will reaffirm the declaration made when they first respond to the call of God and the gospel. They will be justified by faith. In spite of recent challenges, I believe such an understanding of Paul's doctrine of justification does better justice to the Pauline text. It cannot be dismissed by the claim that the ancients were not concerned to find a gracious God. How could they not be in the face of pending divine judgment? Or that it wrongly casts first century Jews as legalists. Its target is rather the sinfulness of all human beings. Or that non-Christian Jews too depended on divine grace. Of course they did, but without Paul's need to distinguish grace from works. Or that righteousness means membership in the covenant, covenant, covenant. Never did, never will. And the expression works of the law refers to the boundary markers of the Jewish people. It refers to all the righteous deeds required by the law and its path to righteousness. Modern scholars are correct in knowing that Paul first focused on language of justification in response to the question whether Gentile believers in Christ should be circumcised. They are right to emphasize the social implications of Paul's doctrine of justification, what it meant on the ground in his own day and are free to draw its social implications for our own. But the doctrine of justification means that God declares sinners righteous, apart from righteous deeds, when they believe in Jesus Christ. Those so made righteous represent the new humanity, the people of God's new creation, Romans 5, 17 through 19. So that's just kind of summary statement of yeah. his take on Paul, you know, his corpus in the New Testament and current interpretation, reinterpretation of Pauline thought. Yeah, and I like most of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yes, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, there's still a, it's a very, it's a, it's a very open handed, but there, it's still, there are polemical points. It's yeah, not, no, a, it's yeah. not, it's not a non, it feels like he makes his open argument, then it comes back a little bit. And, but that's what, you know, what makes him interesting is that he has a position. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and it's a position that I think is trying to be corrective of, of less nuanced positions. Right, right. He, it's yeah. a more nuanced position than the reaction you find in, say, a lot of evangelical Protestant responses to mainline new perspectives sort of scholarship. It's a much more moderate approach. Yeah, I think approach. so. Well, I'm happy that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, neither death nor anything else. Amen to that. Amen. Thanks for listening, folks. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.